0: That that's impossible um, there was no slowing so I know it wasn't making a wide turn uh, plus the light didn't change at all uh, but a second light that looked just like it came from um, out of like a cloud bank that was there and so I tapped the guy and I'm like hey do you see that and I pointed at it and he saw it and what the fuck basically is what he said and I said I don't know what that is that's why I'm asking you if you see it I'm not crazy am I and he's like yeah, no I see it too and about that time from below behind the trees another light came back came up so there were three now they basically just danced around for about three minutes i mean just literally just flew around you know big, big arcs straight lines straight up straight down you know up at angles down at angles two minutes maybe three after the hailstorm, i was looking out the window and all of a sudden, from the south, two fighter jets, military fighter jets, came just screaming through. And they were flying in combat, for- combat formation. And they were headed directly towards the direction that I had seen those lights in. But my point of view on it is you're not going to scramble two fighter jets in combat formation in a hailstorm.
1: And then I saw six lights in a line cruising across the sky very fast, faster than a satellite would go. Oh. You know, it was about a maybe
2: Wait. a quarter to a I know that guy. Let's come back to that. When I was a kid, maybe 8 or 9, I got really into the paranormal. It started with an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. My mom tuned in for the true crime stuff, but it was the Chupacabra episode that hooked me. From there, I watched all those Discovery Channel aliens and cover ups shows, read all the spooky UFO books at the library, I drew aliens with crayons and colored pencils, started trying to compile all the data I could get my hands on. This was before we had the internet, but it was still a fair bit of material. Carl Jung, founder of analytic psychology, called the UFO phenomenon a modern myth in the making. The form of the myth, The particulars, the little gray men from space thing, all that might be a recent development. But tales of high strangeness are probably as old as humankind. Every culture, from ancient to modern times, seems to have tales of encounters with weirdness. From the European elves, to the jinn of Arabia, to the Malaysian-Indonesian Orang Bunyan, to all the spirit beings of basically every animistic tradition, wherever there are people. Not just spirits of the dead, something else, something other than human.
0: Headline edition, July 8th, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile found sometime last week has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico.
2: Is the extraterrestrial hypothesis simply a 20th century science friendly technological paint job on the perennial mythic archetypes of strange entities, shamanic journeys, and fairy tale spookiness? And does this all point to any physical reality? Whether that's visitors from other worlds, demons, or interdimensional self transforming machine elves? Are these experiences more about finding yourself shifted into altered states of consciousness? Sleep paralysis, or psychedelic spaces, or something else? Or are these all merely stories and nothing more? Uh Uh-uh. If you haven't had any weird experiences yourself, If all you've got to work with are secondhand anecdotes, fuzzy footage, debunked hoaxes, and a handful of potential explanations for any given report, you may find the breadth of evidence for any spooky happenings to be unconvincing. But I'm not interested in convincing anyone of anything here. I'm interested in enjoying ideas and wild conjecture. It's just fun stuff to talk about. Scrutiny and skepticism are great for evaluating claims. It's incredibly useful to think critically, but it's also useful to keep an open mind, to wonder, to entertain ideas, even really strange ones, without bothering with belief or disbelief at all. The world is full of mystery. There's a lot to be said for staying with the mystery, just hanging out with that sense of wonder and seeing what happens. For making room in our lives, for the imaginal, the numinous, the awe-inspiring as well as the rationality and parsimonious models- OH SHIT, WHAT'S THAT? What was- Oh, no, wait, it's just some sound effects. Anyway, if you have had a weird experience, one that resists conventional explanation, things might look a little different. Maybe you tried to ignore the experience to push it aside, Or maybe it pushed you to embrace alternative conceptions of reality outside the double-blind tests and peer-reviewed publications of mainstream science. Or maybe, like me, you just let it be there. Whatever it is, whatever it was, maybe you treat it as an invitation to just staying open to the mysterious, to the possibility that reality itself is fundamentally mysterious that an all-encompassing model of the universe will probably remain elusive, and there will always be strange apparitions dancing at the borderlands of our subjective worlds. Maybe you even make a podcast episode about this stuff. Maybe you use the episode to distract yourself from the fact that basically everything in the ocean is dying right now. I mean there's a Massive starfish die off. Marine species populations in general have already halved since 1970. Plankton populations are plummeting. We're talking about the very foundation of the food chain there. Coral reefs are dying. I mean, that alone means major habitat destruction for over a million plant and animal species. Thanks global average temperature increases, plastic garbage and industrial pollution,
3: rampant overfishing, ocean acidification from out-of-control CO2 emissions.
2: (coughs) Wait, what was I... Oh yeah. UFOs. Hey, if there are any space aliens out there, can you guys come fix our shit? That would be great. Feel free to take some people back with you. We have too many. Look, this is gonna be a fun episode. We'll hear from Eric Schiller about his recent UFO sightings, and wonder about whether it's space aliens or something even stranger. We'll talk about podcast voices, the aesthetics of the weird internet dating, Carlos Castaneda, psychedelics, Gnosticism, the suffering of just being human, cults, reality television, and yeah, The Matrix does come up again. Alright, let's get weird.
1: Alright, now I'm recording. Um, Yeah, those guys have to sit in front of the mirror and talk to themselves, right?
2: I love Ira Glass as an example because it doesn't sound like he's trying to do a radio voice like he's he's not trying to do the traditional like James Earl Jones type thing but I'm sure even his voice is still mannered for radio in some way But some of those some
1: of the like podcast like the really millennial podcasts there's a millennial podcast voice and <laughs> that's the one I'm talking about that's what I got to develop the stuff I mostly listen to is like pot- last podcast on the left. You know that? Oh, one. yeah.
2: I love those guys.
1: So that's what this is going to be like. Basically, I only know how to say really inappropriate things and then <laughs> laugh at myself.
2: Are you the loud one who always sounds like he's screaming? Is that going to be your role? You know,
1: the funny thing is when that guy is screaming, the other guys are like, Alright, reel it in But like they're on like a podcast with him, like they decided to be with that guy. So it's, it's gotta be like fake reeling in, right? Yeah, uh, I
2: mean I'm I'm sure he's on the show at all because he's so excitable and emotive. Yeah. <laughs> you did internet dating, right? Let me stop me if I'm gonna get too personal here. No, it's fine. I did. I, I did okay cupid. Yep,
1: I did that. I think what I learned from that experience is that women don't like me. So, <laughs> uh, and
2: when they start to not like you in the process too because there's a lot to it, correlate
1: it's there. usually early one time i was on this date with a she was a lawyer and somehow we got in this conversation where it was like she thought like you know we were like society was heading towards a, a better path and i was like oh, obviously okay. it's not yeah this was before trump a long time ago so you know you know we had obama so everybody was like riding high <laughs> Maybe she thinks the same thing, but I but she didn't want to date me after I told her that I guess she wanted to only date an optimist
2: I mean there's optimism and there's naivete at this point
1: I mean you know it, it it's kind of like her um role in society required her to think that she was you know helping somehow and that it was gonna get better, right like she was a so she was a public defender that was the part that I missed that's important in this conversation and probably dating a guy who was like yeah, you're all fucked. <laughs> Probably wouldn't
2: help. That makes sense. You kind of need an ideology that keeps you going with whatever you're doing. Yeah. So I think like the Silicon Valley tech utopianism, uh, optimistic futurism is kind of interesting because. It kind of justifies a lot of software engineers just writing software for whatever giant company, but really they're building the AI that's going to save the world and everyone gets to live in digital heaven and live forever and all that stuff.
1: It's kind of weird because Elon Musk says that he's worried AI is going to take over and we don't have any control of anything anymore. But I mean, look at how that's working out. So maybe maybe that would be okay.
2: Stranger things have happened. Have they? Have Stranger Things happened?
1: I think Stranger Things have happened.
2: Yeah, they had a second season, too. Yeah.
0: From the far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. You'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. And now i brought my toothbrush. Hello, Earth. Your civilization all light will disappear forever. Run, them Earthmen. End of the world. That's a very common news. you got
3: to believe me. We've got to stop it.
1: So you want to talk about UFOs. So the first sightings that we had were just this big fucking fireball. And it was obviously, like, pretty high up. Like in orbit or something like that. And then it would kind of like go off in some direction and then it would usually pretty much just, it would like get dim and you could still see it and then it would just disappeared. And usually when you see a satellite, you can track it all the way across the sky. You can see it. It looks like a little light and it stays a consistent brightness for the most part across the sky. And I could track it from, if I catch it on the horizon, I could track it from one horizon to the other until the light of the city or something gets in the way. So I've seen, like, probably four or five of these fireballs in the last month and a half or so. And the other thing that we saw during that time is, like, flashes. Like, you look up, and you see a couple flashes, and then there's nothing. And we check like, the flight radar apps and stuff to check for planes that are at 35,000 feet or whatever, and there's nothing. And there's not really anything that can account for it. Now, some satellites can have flashes, but usually if there's a flash from the satellite, there's only one. A lot of times when I've seen these flashes, there's like two usually, and it's just like a like a blue flash, like like a star turned on and off a couple of times, and that was it. It's gone. So this happened to me the other day. I saw a flash. I pulled out the binoculars and I was looking in that general region of the sky, and then I actually saw something real. First, I thought it was a satellite. It was just kind of like a a light. It wasn't really light. It kind of had like a had a body to it, sort of. It was going very fast. I've seen the International Space Station recently. So the International Space Station can cross the sky in between three and five minutes from one horizon to the next. So the object that I saw, a rough estimate probably would have crossed the sky in 30 seconds or less. And it was like so fast, it was like I saw it, I was tracking it with the binoculars, and I lost sight of it over, you know, trees and stuff. So it was like, you know, four seconds gone. But the really good one I saw was... I was just like looking at random spots in the sky with my binoculars, and then I saw six lights in a line cruising across the sky, like very fast, faster than a satellite would go. You know, it was about a maybe a quarter to a third of the view space of the binoculars, so the width of the thing must have been pretty big. Because, like, a plane would probably take, like, a time, It would look like a little speck at that height. You could see the lights on it and the rings and stuff. But it was bigger than a plane at 35,000 feet by a magnitude of five, probably. So it was, like, five or six planes flying <laughs> in a row. That's my first, like, legit, like, holy shit sighting where I saw it and I put binoculars down and, like, I... Did not really know what to do. It was kind of like maybe I should be looking for more, but I was like afraid. That was like piercing veil, kind of like there it was. So I still, I I mean, I wasn't. It didn't stop me from looking again, but it was weird. So the the object I saw the other night was pretty similar. I think it may have been the same kind of thing because the speed was pretty similar. The the way it looked was similar. I don't know. I don't. I don't think that the. I don't think these are aliens. I mean, it doesn't really make sense. Like, why would aliens fly all the way out here to, like, creep around in the shadows and appear to a few random people and basically troll us? You know, Mm -hmm. they show up, they say they're from Venus, they tell people a bunch of total bullshit, and then they leave. And then they tell another person totally other random bullshit. And that's kind of why, like, this kind of stuff is easily discredited, because, like, all these supposed contactees... None of their stories line up. This, Jacques Vallée has this book called uh, Messengers of Deception and also Passport to Magnolia. And it's like, Passport is basically, he has all these accounts of like pre 1930s UFO encounters and like people thought they were airships and people, just random people came out of these airships and like asked for some kind of random thing like olive oil or a piece of metal or whatever, just, like, strange objects. And they just were like, yeah, we're just, like, cruising around in our airship, hanging around doing weird stuff. And so there's, like, tons of reports of this kind of thing that way predates our current understanding of the UFO phenomenon. People back then weren't like, I saw a flying saucer, I saw an airship, and it landed, and these guys were, like, tinkering on the... Mechanicals of it, and kind of like steampunk esque experiences. So now we have this other experience where people, you know, see these supposed gray aliens, and they have this like medical procedure or something, or like uh um, you know, the other experience that's common is that aliens tell them that the planet is in danger, and you need to do these things to stop it, the nuclear war thing. Fifties and sixties was big for that. Aliens told people that nuclear war was coming. You have to stop the nuclear tests or something like that. So, um, whatever this thing is, doesn't really like have a cohesive message. In fact, it 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 apparently lies. Like it, it tells things that don't really line up with anything at all. Almost like it's just you know, it just has to come up with a story every time it encounters actual people. Whatever it is. And I don't think all the people that have these experiences are crazy. I think a lot of them could be crazy. But maybe these experiences are not happening in in normal consciousness. Whatever that is. I I mean, I try to be kind of pragmatic about it. Like I feel like that's science oriented. But we also have like videos of craft that do crazy shit. There's like those F-18, you know, IR videos that came out recently. So, you know, you can't just be like UFOs are nothing. It's obviously something, but like you know, I read the UFO reports that come out every week on the National UFO Reporting Center, and a lot of them are kind of just nothing. Like around Fourth of July, you get a lot of reports of Chinese lanterns, and there's a lot of like, "Oh, I saw a light in the sky," and you know, probably was an airliner or something like that. But then there's reports that are just weird. If if you and I went to another planet and we had some super awesome UFO. Flying saucer thing and we could cruise around invisibly and like appear to, to the aliens there and like tell them all kinds of crazy shit. Like, is that like what we would do with that advanced technology? <laughs> you yeah. know?
2: I mean it's what I would do. Okay,
1: that's what you would do.
2: <laughs> I, I wouldn't be a member of an advanced species that would have come up with that kind of technology but I do see the appeal in uh, fucking with the local mammal population.
1: But, you know, the thing, it's like really, it's really subtle fucking this, too. It's like, you know, they appear to one person, and then 20 years later, they'll come back and be like, hey, remember us? They're not like, they don't come back tomorrow, you know, or you don't see something tomorrow. They don't appear mm-hmm. consistently. But I don't, I mean, they're not aliens. I don't think they're, I don't think there's any way, you're gonna, this is gonna sound crazy, but mainstream ufology all thinks they're aliens. They're sure they're aliens. Cause like, and it makes sense, cause like, that's how they're presenting. They're flying saucers. Aliens come out. People have experiences with aliens. But if you're dealing with something else, maybe call it an entity. If you call it an entity, then it's, it takes on a different vibe.
2: I like your approach where you you have, like, you don't claim to know, but you are aware of what uh, ideas about it you're attracted to, and maybe, to some degree, what, it, what attracts you about those ideas. Like, I, I wouldn't join MUFON myself, or anything like that. Um... But I really like the idea of the, the trippier end of the spectrum for UFOs. I mean, there's something appealing with UFOs where there's, there's all these ideas floating around, there's all these different stories, there's all these different encounter reports and stuff like that, or just weird things that people see, and they're all kind of disparate. They don't naturally fall into any particular narrative and even though the whole, like, oh, they're extraterrestrials, they're, like, a species that's visiting us, that kind of myth has settled in. I guess it's the most accessible. But, but in all these reports, it's so, like, disjointed. Um, and I like that. I like just the weirdness of it. Even however you view it, if you view it as, as some kind of contemporary folklore or, or earnest reports of weird goings-on, or projections of the unconscious, or even you know, disembodied intelligences. But the fact that it's strange, difficult to categorize, kind of inconsistent, and it has just enough plausibility to suggest all this possibility without locking you into anything. And I think I agree with you that kind of just from aesthetic reasons, the whole extraterrestrial hypothesis is probably the most boring explanation. It doesn't really have any teeth to it anymore. It's been explored in like a million uh, blockbuster mainstream movies now. So there's nothing that's really compelling or stirring or moving about it.
1: You know, it's kind of a, it's a weird thing. Because like in some ways, this is almost entirely a cultural phenomenon. right? Like, since we have so little to go on, really. You know, it, it, I try to think about like, we have this idea now that we can just capture everything. We just have, we just capture, you know, like all of my chats are captured forever, all the emails at work, and, you know, my Fitbit or whatever the hell you use, like, tracks your steps and your movements, and Google's got a map of everywhere you've ever been, and all this stuff, but like, we have all this data by ourselves. But like, so we have this idea. Like as a species, that we are kind of controlling the goings-on, like we have a full idea of 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 the human experience. So we think that, obviously we don't, but we we have this idea that it's all under control somehow. And the UFO is like it's so slippery. If you see it in the sky, but like you know, the things I saw were so fast you couldn't even couldn't take a picture. I couldn't even look down without. You know, like it's such a so that's the slipperiest possible thing that you can experience I feel like. like so that is like something that is untouchable for us it's like it represents a otherness that we can't capture or understand and that's why I think all the all the stories come out and like you know if you really dig into it there, they, there are people that think there's more than a hundred races of aliens visiting this planet with all these different, you know, ideologies and stuff, battling it out. It's kind of like Sorcery of the Spectacle. It's this idea that culture mediates our behavior. And the cult- we don't own the culture. The culture owns us. It's like a control system. Spectacle has its own agency, an anti-human agency, and it runs in our minds. It's just like this sort of meta-software. It runs in all the humans. It causes us to behave in certain ways. And so... Uh, I kind of feel like the UFO thing is sort of related to that. It's like this otherness. It's, uh, it's disturbing. It's, Mm um, I feel like it's like actually really important, like whatever it is, because it's just too weird to not matter. So, you know, Carlos Castaneda, right? He, Mm -hmm. he wanted to make a lot of money and start a cult, so he did that. Um, but in his books, he came up with a lot, he kind of ripped off Buddhism and a bunch of other shit you know, made fake shamanism and stuff. But in his books, he has this idea about, he calls it predation, and it's this idea that, like, um, humanity is food for something else. And then he he calls it the flyer. And the, the way he talks about it is kind of this weird, spiritual, like, is it real or isn't it kind of thing. But basically he says that, you know, this entity feeds off of um, emotions, like strong emotions. And the entity kind of cajoles us into uh, strong emotions by creating drama in our lives. And we do it ourselves by just you know, going with whatever this creature does. So I think maybe UFOs are somehow related to that. If he actually tapped into something real. Because, I, I mean, I think Carl, like Carl he can be like a cult leader and like have all these ideas and stuff. But it doesn't mean that you're totally wrong about everything, even if you're just trying to make a up. I think, you know, a lot of those guys, like Crowley and a lot of them came up with really a lot of really interesting shit, and they were definitely trolls. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, opportunists can still be pretty creative in what they do with their source materials. Um, I always appreciate the ones that are really good about indicating their sources, too, so you can kind of cross-reference Um, I'm very skeptical myself that Carlos Castaneda actually went and had these amazing experiences based on what I read about, well, he has like, uh, records of checking out books at the library at the time that he was supposed to be in, um, but Alejandro Jodorowsky said that they, you should read them like poetry, um, and they are sort of, they're pretty poetic, You know, I I dig it. I was skeptical while I was reading it, but I still felt like I got something out of it. I mean, the imagery is interesting. the, And I think, like, the is it real or isn't it kind of adds a special allure to it, even more so than if I, like, 100% believed that what I was reading was fact, the is it real or isn't it how much of it is real or isn't it that like mindset going into it somehow makes it more compelling and more interesting
1: yeah it's weird because first his writing really sucks it's it's (laughs) awkward and like contrived there's something about the writing that so it's bad but it's also kind of compelling like this this um there's the content of it I don't think I've ever found some of that stuff anywhere else. Just all these ideas about the other world and how it works and how how people actually work. You know, there's a lot of kind of 60s, 70s psychology in there. Like, you know, Timothy Leary, John Lilly type stuff. But it's all wrapped up in this nice little shamanic bundle, you know? So...
2: It's definitely flavored the cultural undercurrent, you know what I mean? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: A lot of subcultures are touched by the works of Castaneda, even very indirectly. One thing that occurred to me, uh, just briefly going back to the whole reading uh, Castaneda and having the attitude of like, is this true or isn't it? It makes me think of stage magic because what makes stage magic fun is even if you go into it knowing that you're seeing a charlatan or someone who doesn't even present himself as being capable of like real magic, you know, you know you're seeing someone who's doing illusions. The fun part is the part of your brain that still wants to be like oh no that's magic he really did that that's real magic you know to the point where you for for a minute you know until you talk yourself out of it afterwards for, for a minute or a split second you can really believe that there's something and it just interrupts your whole model of what's possible in the world i think it's sort of nice to like give that a a good shaking now and again to sort of see something that doesn't really fit with that model just so you can kind of step outside of it for a moment
1: you know i think that's the really interesting thing about fascinated in the first place is that in the books like the only real crazy shit that happens is just kind of like in the mind like the whole point of it is that it's like this sort of spiritual transformation. It's not like they were flying above the desert, you know, and any of those stories are kind of like, any of them that sound like they're intended to be physical kind of have this air of a dream or something like that. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing is this like personal kind of development process. It's not like, oh, and when you're done with this, you can shoot lightning bolts out of your fingers, you know. So to that effect, it kind of makes sense that he didn't go out there and do that stuff and meet anybody. You know, it was a... It was probably... The books are the result of his own, whatever, spiritual conclusions. Yeah. And I don't know why he felt like he had to tell everybody what really happened. But that's what he did. Probably because it made it easier to be a cult. I
2: guess so. I mean, if, if he didn't... If he just marketed it as a novel, would it have been as compelling or recognized or digestible I don't know I kind of feel the same way about like figures like Muhammad uh not to incur any wrath or whatever but um I read a little of the Quran and uh as I recall he he, he goes into a cave or something and an angel accosts him and demands that he recites But he was sort of described as kind of, like, a weird introvert. I I can't remember where I'm getting this information, so... I know this isn't, like, what you're supposed to believe going into it, but it definitely just seems like there's this, like, really poetic guy who wants to frame his own, like, inner experiences and inner work in this, like, externalized uh, other figure of the angel but the, so then if Muhammad went and said like well no th- I wrote this but it's like it's kind of about me it's like me talking to me no religion would have come from that you know
1: yeah well you know like there's these ideas about a lot of those religions that the people like the prophets or whatever were often in, under the influence of you know some kind of mold in a cave ergod or something and so they were tri- basically tricked. And so if, imagine, you know, you're sitting in a cave trying to write a book and then tripping or like, and then maybe what you're thinking about kind of seems real. And that could have happened to Carlos because his, his whole thing was in the beginning, he was trying to find somebody that would give him peyote, I think, like in Mexico. So he was trying to find a shaman that would give him peyote so he could study the cactuses or something and the, the rituals of the natives there. So, I guess the story could go, he found some guy to give him peyote, and then the rest is history. You know, like, he he kind of went on his, his vision trip, and for all we know, maybe he really believed all of that shit happened, <laughs> you know? You know, all of his books, like, you can pick one out of the series and just read it, and it has nothing to do with the other books. <laughs> it's like, I mean, this is the account for the other side. If he was writing fiction, why doesn't it make more fucking sense?
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point.
1: Because there, there's like this, like, like some of the books, they act like they're really leading up to something, and then nothing happens at all. And it's not like a, a device in the story, it's just like, it was almost like he was like planning on doing something, and he kind of forgot, and then it never happened. And every single book has this kind of force to it, and it kind of just peters out, and then you explain something, and that's it.
2: Yeah, I feel like there's, a, there's maybe like a Hollywood movie in there somewhere about castaneda writing uh the teachings of don juan and there's a few different ways you could approach it too depending on like how much reality you wanted to put in there versus how much uh you want to make him into a, a fictionist or or even have like some unreliable narrator elements so it's unclear like which version of it is kind of like uh tim burton's big fish I feel like there's maybe like a big fish type story in here. You could see uh, playing out as a movie.
1: I'm trying to think of how that would go. I think it would almost have to be like you'd have to just be fully in, in Castaneda land to get it right. Mm-hmm. You just, you just like you leave reality, and now you're Carlos Castaneda writing about himself in a novel. Because like you know, if it's if it's actually nonfiction, then it's okay. But if it's fiction, if you're writing about yourself, then you're like Stephen King.
2: Then he's just like the Mary Sue of his fan fiction of reality.
1: You know, I'm kind of surprised that's not more, like, you'd think that would be a thing. That people would write stories about themselves more often that are not real. Like a, you know, a more interesting life than they're living.
2: Yeah. Well, there is creepypasta. And uh, isn't most, it seems like a lot of creepypasta is written as if it's from the point of view of the person writing it.
1: That's true. I mean, I've read kind of that stuff on Reddit and it is difficult to tell whether they're serious or not if you didn't know where you were, like what you landed on. Yeah. The thing that gets me about Carlos is that he has all these ideas about seeing things that aren't there. That like, that there's this other world, like just a thin layer on top of ours where these other entities exist and are around us all the time. And that sometimes you can just kind of like, accidentally shift your perspective just a little bit that you see it. Maybe that's what all this stuff is.
2: I mean, I think that's a really beautiful idea, um, and it's definitely not unique to Castaneda, either. But yeah, maybe maybe it's like a mini-worlds interpretation of quantum physics and there's just like this giant chunk of multidimensional possibility being manifested constantly around us that we just are overlapping with that we just don't normally encounter but every once in a while something goes wrong or weird we get a little hint of it an unspeakable horror seized me there was a darkness then a dizzy sickening sensation of sight that was not like seeing i saw a line that was no line space that was not space i was myself and not myself when I could find voice, I shrieked aloud in agony. Either this is madness or it is hell. It is neither, calmly replied to the voice of the sphere. It is knowledge. When I was a kid, my dad read me this short story about someone who, like, got up too early or something, and they were still, like, putting the finishing touches on reality. He had somehow become disjointed from whatever process was creating the world around him. And it was being sort of consciously put together like a stage. And uh, I mean, I might be remembering that completely wrong, but it made an impression on me. And I really like the idea of like, you're just seeing like a little bit into some like hidden machinery of the processes going on around us invisibly that construct our conception of reality I, li- I like that reading it's just uh you're seeing some control error that you're not supposed to be privy to
1: yeah or the alternative which is that it's fully intentional i mean i almost think that's more likely like uh if if there are machine like some sort of machinations that construct reality It would probably be sort of a thing like the Matrix or something. I guess in the Matrix they have this idea that there's mistakes and you experience deja vu and they change something or whatever. But if there was a a machine capable of projecting this type of reality and controlling all the variables that we all see every day and making sure they all line up exactly in a a way that provides continuity to the universe, you'd think that those machines would not have ever failed.
2: Maybe, but they would be super complex at that point, which seems to jack up the likelihood of some kind of failure or glitches or something.
1: It almost feels like that it's like built into the universe. There's these little clues that like all this paranormal shit is all it really is. is just clues that are just telling you this isn't real. <laughs> That's it. It's just like a little reminder. And I think most people experience it, and they have that crisis, and then they move on. They they go back to believing things are the way they were before. Mm -hmm. And texts like The Matrix and all the other things that, you know, posit that this world isn't real just sort of separate us from the ability to realize it, I think. You just go, oh, that's The Matrix, obviously, that's not true.
2: Oh, yeah, like it kind of trivializes it a little. Yeah, Or it's like how um, corporations will take revolutionary rhetoric or images or elements of the counterculture and package them for safe consumption. Yeah, maybe The Matrix is doing that. It's even sold you the truth as an obvious fiction.
1: Well, that's kind of like, I mean, that's not the same, but that's also the kind of the weird alien thing. It's like, you know, the aliens are like, we're aliens and this is what's happening. And we've got spaceships and shit. And the people that encounter, have that encounter just believe it, mostly. Most of those people just believe it verbatim. That, that's obviously true because they're aliens. Like, they've got a spaceship, you know? And that, in in the same way that the Matrix, like, keeps you away from the truth, that also keeps you away from the truth. You're just like, you don't question it, you're just like, obviously they're aliens. They, just, they, they present themselves as aliens, so, you know, duh.
2: Yeah, I mean, if, uh, if there's earnestness to any of these accounts, and any of that shit happened to people, it would be really hard for such an emotionally jarring experience, it would be really hard to distance yourself from that, to have any kind of like skepticism, if it presented itself as as real as anything in waking life you know what i mean yeah even the ones where they seem to report some kind of altered state of consciousness accompanying it you're still there's still the reality of the experience of it and if it's so profound you know it's like the difference between um the psychonaut and the rational psychonaut uh the the subreddits they're, they're sort of like reporting the same experiences but rational psychonaut is more like But, hmm, obviously that didn't really happen. But it's hard to do that sometimes if you have an experience that's so compelling.
1: Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing about, uh, there's like two places, two camps you fall into. One, you believe it. You believe in the process or something. You don't believe that all those things happen to you, like physically. But you believe that the things you learn are true or have some bearing on And there's the people that are, like, it's just, like, imagination, it's for entertainment purposes only, like, there's a little stamp on it, and you just kind of push it off to the side and continue believing what you believed before. And I guess you don't have to fall exactly into either, team, But it's interesting, like, which people fall where. People, that I feel like, fall into the, it's just for entertainment, tend to be pretty religious, also. Really? Well, I think it's that, I mean, the psychedelic experience, if you really do it right, is pretty jarring to who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think if if you have that experience, what happens is that you sort of lose yourself. You have this neat little package of who you are and all your relationships and where you go every day and your job and whatever. And then you have this experience that not only is it not any of that, but it's it's like so alien to your normal experience that it is not I even mean, like how do you describe it? It's just like it's something else, and that something else is so violent to who we are that it kind of like creates this sort of a like fissure, and then you have to like account for that fissure somehow. This is something I've been thinking about lately a lot, actually. It's like, what else could you be? What could you think instead of what you think now? We're really attached to identity. Like I, Our identity is all that really matters. Like The reason people don't want to die or they want to have an afterlife is because they're afraid that their identity will be lost. Really, what's the point? What makes me so special that when I die, like we need to have a record of my identity? All the people that have died are long gone. We kind of have some traces of them, but like their identities vanish from the existence. And that's okay. It's always been like that. But we really want to hold on to the idea that we can go out there and continue experiencing things and contributing in our own little special way. Maybe, maybe I'm not making any sense, but I think about this a lot. Like, what What else is out there that consciousness can experience?
2: Yeah, I like what you said about um, just being able to be open to the possibility that there are other ways of thinking. I feel like that's like the simplest form of what you're talking about. Is just like, well, if, if you look at your thought processes right now and these like predictable loops, these predictable patterns, these predictable narratives, you have to at least be open to the possibility that those aren't concrete, you know, those aren't really real. You are capable, probably, of breaking outside of that to some extent or modifying that to some extent. And then you can kind of keep going on that to almost a cosmic scale where you sort of wonder, like, how, how much can your, your experience or your idea of self or your way of engaging in the world or your way of experiencing the world, how far can that change from what it is right now? And if you're into uh, psychedelics, or you just really pay attention to dreams, or especially if you get into lucid dreaming, or even you know if you meditate a lot, or do yoga a lot, you are at least confronted with experiences that you probably didn't think were within the realm of the possible. And so just having that little bit of like, okay, there is more that is possible than I have been telling myself all this time. That's either super scary or super exciting or some combination of the two.
1: Yeah. I almost wonder, it's like, um, if you think about Buddhism and a lot of the techniques Buddhism uses, various forms of Buddhism use to shake people out of themselves. Carlos Castaneda calls it stopping the world. You know, each of us, every human, has this idea of how the world is working around it. You know, maybe it's, like, how the food gets to McDonald's and I get to eat it, or how how I pay money for things and I work, or maybe it's, like, you know, how my physical body is able to move around from one place to another. There's this, this, every single one of us has this constant process in our heads that's creating the world around us. You know, like, all these ideas about neuroscience, about how, like, you only really are perceiving a very small percentage of what your senses are taking in. And because your perception is so limited, what happens is your brain just kind of makes up the rest of it. And, and that's almost like a, a big thing in Buddhism because it's like their whole thing is that you fo- you focus on one sense. And then you narrow your focus on, that, on elements of that one sense so small that you then come to the realization that you don't really exist or something like that. you know. <laughs> so that maybe we can kind of break out of this somehow. All this stuff. Carlos, Buddhism, the aliens, all that shit is about shocking yourself out of the humanness. You know, if you watch reality TV. There's all this crazy drama going on. My girlfriend watches Bachelor of Paradise, which is horrifying. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, really what's happening is they have all these people that are dating, and they're trying to like find ways to get conflict between all these couples, and people change people, and all this stuff. That guy was just like sitting on the beach board, and he's like, I think I'm going to start some shit. And he goes over there and starts some shit. And it's totally contrived. It's not even like the producers told him. He's just like, I'm bored. I'm going to go start some shit. And so like the whole thing with a show like that is that what it is, is a very short instruction manual for dealing with other people. You know, you see relationships happening. People want things. They, they have different strategies to go and get the things they want. And you have that little instruction book that's about in paradise, and you can go to the next show. There's this other whole other strategy for getting what you want, and like the voice, you know, you go on a singing show because you want to become famous and make a lot of money. All these human drives are, if you boil them down, strategies for getting human things. <laughs> you know, like obviously humans are doing a lot of things wrong, and what is it about us that makes us keep doing the things wrong, even though we know we shouldn't do those things? It's like the software of the human it kind of pushes you there. So I kind of feel like there's this way of like the stopping of the humanness of you. You're not you're not influenced by these other factors that are telling you to do all the stuff, the pressure and like, whatever, and you just exist. I don't know if that made any sense at all.
2: Kind of sounds like uh, ego death. Yeah,
1: maybe it is like that, but I'm not sure it's about it's necessarily permanent. But like there needs to be some way for us to become more than what we are.
2: I think about that when I whenever I go to take the trash out, and there's just like all these bags of recyclables in the dumpster and uh, just like the wrong shit sorted into the wrong recycling bins for anyone who even tries to recycle. And I think about how like we're, we're totally destroying the planet in these ways that are going to come back to bite us in the ass uh, more and more, the longer we do it. And I look at, I, th- I think about like I've been brainwashed to recycle my whole life. I mean I watched television and there were advertisements on television telling me the importance of recycling. There was like PBS cartoons telling me how important recycling was and that and it's pretty simple you know it's just putting the waste into one container or another. It's like the lowest investment possible and we can't even seem to do that for the most part like even that is just kind of too much of an inconvenience or there's not enough motivation there or something like that so i do kind of wonder like what would it take to break people in general myself included out of all of these little ruts that keep us trapped you know repeating the same self-destructive behaviors i guess that's the million dollar question for like the self-help industry
1: Maybe not everybody has this, but I have this desire to not be who I am. And it's not like, oh, I just want to be more like other people. It's more like I just don't want to do the human thing. There's something, that, something about it that's kind of aesthetically unappealing <laughs> to being human. <laughs> and I like the garbage thing. It's like the garbage. It's like there's a lot of garbage involved, a lot of fighting and a lot of mental anguish <laughs>
2: and all that. Yeah. But it's exhausting being a, being a human with all of this li- linguistic garbage that we get to accumulate on top of the, just the suffering of being and being threatened and the anxieties of, you know, like I think about my cat. Every time there's a little noise that happens that he doesn't immediately know what it is. He's like in full like alert mode, yeah. like I might have to defend myself against this predator that suddenly showed up. So we kind of have that, except we can like cause ourselves to do that because of stories that we tell ourselves over and over I have to feel like any intellectually honest person or anyone who's being honest with themselves would agree with you to some extent. Everyone's a little uncomfortable with human existence.
1: Yeah. but I mean, to me that says that there's like hope kind of that like, well, I mean, if, if you were like under some control or maybe we're just too stupid, the fact that you and I could be like, huh, Maybe there is, maybe we can someday not do this anymore. (laughs) Is hope that maybe we'll figure out some other way of being that's not this. That's not, you know, dependent on destruction. And I'm not even talking about like an ecological way, just like, just like very normal human things have a strong impact. Like looking outside and seeing traffic and just experiencing just the pure violence of traffic. (laughs) Just looking at it, you know, you can feel the, the tension, like how driving relies on yielding so much to prevent accidents and sort of like this like constant game of chicken like so much driving is just chicken like who's going to stop and there's a rule about who's supposed to stop but that's not always followed you know a lot of times you come into encounters driving that you know you have the right of way and somebody else just goes and you have to stop to prevent yourself from getting hit even though was your right of way you I mean, you can apply that to a lot of human systems. So it's just kind of this like violence, it's a game of chicken, match ups, measuring up, fighting. That I guess that's kind of like that. Why I, I was always talking about cults, like you know maybe the only way you can really build societies that are less like that is just cults. You have to build a small society where you get a bunch of people that can just let that stuff go. I guess, but maybe not. Maybe it's not possible.
2: Yeah, I mean, cults is kind of like. It's kind of a fun term for it. Yeah. (laughs) Like, sort of a way to be flip about it a little. But I agree. I think there's some value in experimenting with other ways of being. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of ways that the shape of our dominant society right now is highly destructive and not likely to last uh, for a long time. So it seems like it's in our own best interest to just see what else is possible, what what uh more not necessarily permanent but more stable solutions there might be or more stable ways of organizing human beings and labor and our relationship with our environments. Um why would we not be like rapidly prototyping?
1: Yeah, it's kind of like the conservative thing about if it's not broke don't fix it. <laughs> you know? I think most people have this assumption that it's all mostly working. I, I, I guess I see it as if a system involves violence to persist when it's not working. What
2: mm. if life itself requires violence to persist, if that's just the cost of living is some degree of violence?
1: I mean, I think that's probably true. Um, it's sort of like an entropy question, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, Entropy is sort of violent itself. But I think that... Uh, Obviously, you can't just put a metric on the violence. But, you know, if all humans became vegetarians tomorrow, that would obviously be less violent than if we didn't. You know, so maybe we can come to a point where we just have a baseline level of violence instead of being really violent.
2: No, I, I definitely would like to see people get on the same page with at least finding the minimum possible violence in order to continue the human species to some extent. I want to believe that's like a universal wish, but I also see the opposite quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's
1: why they would never really see aliens.
2: <laughs> We're too shitty. We're too shitty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it's definitely it would be a good thing to strive for, to have a society that constantly iterated towards lower and lower levels of violence or something like that. That would be great. Well on that note, thank you so much for coming and having this conversation. I had a blast. I really
1: appreciate it. Thank you.
2: guest Eric Schiller. Intro track was What If by Ilocum Blow and See Some, followed by Cliff by Glass Boy. Transition track was Cardio Rhythm by Falling Stars. Closing tracks Feel No Other by Ixtlan, followed by Underdog by Black Ant. Thanks to LibriVox for the Flatland audio read by Ruth Golding. Flatland was written by Edwin Abbott Abbott thanks to freesound.org everyone putting their stuff up we used like 30 sound assets for this episode shout out to hike and freak julian matthew alan mckee just kidding freedom fighter victor scenes andrew duke swan ho robert barr erh npeo real theremin noiranex daf024 Lots of Love to Free Music Archive, my go-to, where I find almost all the music that I use. Also, the internet archive at archive.org. That's where I get the rest. Thanks to them also for clips from X-1, The Man in the Moon, and The Outer Limit episodes. Also, the Beyond Tomorrow version of The Outer Limit. Full credits with links for all audio assets in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. If you have any spooky or weird experiences to share, let's talk. Hit me up, Jeremy at it'snowereverpodcast.com, or, or at Now or never cast on Twitter. I tried to find that Chupacabra episode of Unsolved Mysteries. You know, I grew up watching the Robert Stack episodes, so imagine my horror to find Spike TV's shitty repackaging run. No offense, Dennis Farina, but ugh, it's not the same. If you can get a hold of the earlier Robert Stack version, take a look. The music is way better too. Alright, that's all I got. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, watch the skies. I'm Jeremy, this was Now or Never, see you next time, fingers crossed.